Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed and For the rest of the hour, we're going to turn to a controversy in Orange County, somewhat related, where a very popular fourth grade teacher is under fire after she and her husband participated in the January 6th events at the U.S. Capitol. The teacher is Christine Hostetter and her husband, Alan, who is a yoga instructor there and also allied with a group called the American Phoenix Warrior and of QAnon, which is known for promoting weird conspiracy theories and, of course, strongly supporting Donald Trump. And when word of their being present at the pro-Trump insurrection in D.C., some in the town of San Clemente demanded that she be fired. It's a fascinating case study involving free speech, our extreme partisan divide these days, and the limits of participating freely in political activities, all of it amplified by the uh, pandemic, as we just heard from A.C. Thompson. Let me tell you who is joining us to talk about this. Matthew Rosenberg is a correspondent with The New York Times. His recent piece was a teacher marched to the Capitol. When she got home, the fight began. Matthew Rosenberg, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Also with us uh, for the rest of the hour, Margaret Russell. She's a professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law. Professor Russell, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Well, let me begin with you, Matthew. Uh, set this up a little further. I described what happened, uh, but uh, you know, tell us uh, you know a little bit more about how this came to your attention and where things stand. Matthew, are you there? All right, we're not hearing Matthew. I'm not sure what's going on there technically, but Professor Russell, uh, if you're there, uh, let me turn to you. And uh, as familiar as you are with this, uh, tell me what you think the teacher's rights are in terms of her ability to participate in what happened on January 6th. Yes, so um, so I'm approaching this as a question of a public school teacher's rights and also public employees' rights against government interference. So my understanding from this excellent article is that this teacher has not brought any of her political views in her grade school classroom, and that in her free time, she traveled to Washington, she was um, at the protest on the Capitol, and as such, barring any information of criminal activity or um, participation in any of the insurrection, she has a right to freedom of speech as a private individual, just as we all do. Um, I think what makes this case different is uh, are, are a couple of things. One is, as you mentioned, the, the very public nature um, of what she has participated in and what she's espoused. She still has that private free speech right, but the Supreme Court has also tempered that right for 
particularly for lower school, public school teachers, to see if it may in- interfere with the operations of the school, be disruptive to the school at large. And, you know, and my own view is it's not enough to say that it's d- disruptive to the school simply because she has a certain opinion. There has to be more than that. And then looking at these facts about, um, let's say, I, I believe she went up to some people with masks and, and confronted them and harassed them for um, wearing masks. This was, all, be, this was all before behavior. January 6th, we should say. Yes, that's right. So, um, so in other words, she has the, the same free speech rights as a private citizen. And the question is, is this going to interfere with um, the operation of the school and with her ability to do her job? And I should say we're uh, trying to reconnect with Matthew uh, Rosenberg, the correspondent for The New York Times, who originally wrote this story, talking also with Margaret Russell, professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law. And when it comes to uh, freedom of speech and religious freedom, uh, Professor Russell, uh, you know, where where are the lines when it comes to, as you said, being somewhat disruptive uh, at, a, at a public school? Well, I think. It, the the freedom of religion issue, the free exercise of religion, I, I think is actually easier to answer here because there is right to freedom of religion. And if that requires some observance, if that can be done in a way that does not suggest that the school is promoting religion, then that, that right certainly prevails. So, for example, if somebody in their private life is um, you know, a leader at a temple or an imam or espouses strong religious views, they don't take it into the classroom. They don't have a symbol, for example, that they're wearing around their neck with, uh, with lower school students that might cause confusion as to whether they're at a religious school, then that certainly is appropriate. And Matthew Rosenberg, uh, in your in your story, which is really excellent, I, I, I highly recommend it to, to people to read it at the New York Times website. How is it that this couple, Christine and Alan Hostetter, how did they come to your attention? Because as you point out at the very beginning of your story, you know, they had sort of raised a few eyebrows, you know, well before January 6th. So this, they actually came to my attention. Um, I was I was at the Capitol on January 6th. And a few days later, I was talking to my old college roommate who lives out in Orange County. And him and his wife were telling me, well, there's this teacher out here who was there and now she's been suspended and there's this big fight about it. I thought, well, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. And I kind of kept tabs on it. I had gotten sucked into some other stories, but by March was able to get out there and, and start, start digging into her story. And it really was this kind of fascinating layered tale where you had this teacher who, you know, by all accounts was beloved. I mean, parents, even the parents who wanted her fired said she was a great teacher. Um, she had shown no kind of real political leanings in the past until about, you know, the pandemic starts. And then her her husband, who had been a, an infantry officer and a former police chief and had become a yoga guru, he did sound healings. He kind of went into the kind of anti-COVID extreme, started organizing protests, founded a group he called the American Phoenix Project that was really to fight back against initially COVID restrictions. She started joining him at protests when him and a few other people were arrested trying to tear down a fence that was closing off. This all took place in San Clemente, California. They were trying to tear down the fence, closing the beach during COVID. They were arrested. She ends up raising money for them. So she really joins in this. Um, and then by summer, you know, the list of enemies has expanded. It's become a broadly kind of they're, they're, they're keeping going anti-BLM protests. They, they 
they're avid Trump supporters. They eventually joined the Stop the Steal movement. So you saw this really kind of quick transformation of this mm. teacher. Mm. And, and, and as a, a, you know, and she did accost some people wearing masks on the beach, but through it all, there was no evidence this had come into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was no evidence that she had participated in the attack on the Capitol. And so it really did raise that question. What do you do with a teacher who has embraced some pretty extreme beliefs? You know, there was some dabbling with QAnon. What do you do here? You know, do you want somebody pushed out because of their beliefs as as extreme as they may seem to most people? And it really is a question. That I think there there's no easy answer for it. And I think San Clemente is still wrestling with it. And the country in a lot of places is wrestling with it. Yeah. Matthew, we're coming up to a break, but just briefly, it does seem like the husband here, Alan Hostetter, is, was really the higher profile of the two. I mean, at one point, I think she says, oh, you know, that's just my husband, uh, which changed over time. But, you know, is this a case, do you think, of sort of the, the husband's high profile you know, dragging his wife and, you know, and the classroom into this? Or is it more complicated? I, I, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, had... If this happened in isolation and she just quietly gone off to the January 6th protest, I'm not sure the reaction in her, her hometown would have been as extreme. And and he certainly was the leader of the kind of push towards this kind of extreme right um, by the couple and by people in their circle. Yeah. But, I mean, she really did join in. You know, she's the yeah. CFO of his group. So yeah. Let, let's leave it there. I'm, I'm sorry. We're going to come back. I just need to take a quick break here. And we're going to continue this conversation. Join us. 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, much more to come. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. We're talking for the rest of this hour about a controversy in Orange County where a very popular fourth grade teacher is under fire after she and her husband participated in the January 6th events at the U.S. Capitol. My guest, Matthew Rosenberg, the correspondent with the New York Times who broke this story over the weekend, and Margaret Russell, professor of constitutional law and an associate provost at Santa Clara University School of Law. What is your response to this story and the issues involved? What are the limits of free speech in the workplace? And how would you react if your child's teacher had marched on the Capitol or for transgender rights or the Black Lives Matter movement, whatever? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email us if you like. It's forum at kqed.org. And um, Matthew Russell uh, Rosenberg <laughs> just married you there for a moment. Um, Ma- Matthew, um, uh, we should say that it's it'd be clear that on January 6th, this couple, uh, Alan and uh, his wife, did not do anything. They did not break the law. They were not charged with anything. Uh, they were not uh, arrested. Christine and Alan Hostetter, you know, they, they put things on social media. They came back. And then what happened? So, yeah, they, they weren't arrested. Um, how close Christine got to the Capitol it remains very unclear. There are pictures of Alan and one of his partners in the American Phoenix Project up on the kind of terrace, but there have been no arrest. His home was later, their home was raided by the FBI. 
in early February, but again, no arrests, um, no charges. Um, so, you know, they get back um, to San Clemente in January, and then a student group that had formed early in the year kind of fi- finds out about this trip. And this is where the race issue kind of comes in. The student group had started earlier in the year in response to the George Floyd protest to kind of, you know, push forward racial justice within their own school district. Um, San Clemente is in an incredibly conservative part of the country. Traditionally, it's moving to the Dem- moving. It's gotten more liberal, but it traditionally is, is very Republican and has had real race issues all of Orange County. And, and this student group wanted to try and, you know, re- reform the curriculum, you know, bring in more minority teachers, whole range of, of proposals. They get wind of this and and she kind of becomes their cause. And and this is where, you know, the next layer comes in. And, and you really do find a real dispute here between, you know, what constitutes racism? Um, by by every account we can find, there had been nothing overt from the teacher. She had, had never used any slurs. Um, any kind of people of color in her class felt supported. Um, There's no obvious discrimination in any sense. On the other hand, though, there are plenty of people who would argue, look, you're going to this Stop the Steel rally. You're taking part in this march to the Capitol, which included a, a, a fair amount of, of white supremacist groups and, and other other characters. You know, um, you are supporting policies that, that, that are racist and, and therefore you need to be your part of that group. Hmm. Um, and I think that debate is, is also totally unsettled and, and really divisive. And, and I want to ask Professor Russell about you know rights, but uh, what happened to the teacher? Did just what was the sequence of things in terms of what the school district? So, so they, the school district suspended her. They hired a private investigator um, who, who dug into what she was doing on the 6th. Um, they determined that she had done nothing unlawful and reinstated her in March. So she's back teaching. And everybody basically seems unhappy. <laughs> Everyone's unhappy, even though she's yeah. back in the classroom. Um, and then, Professor Russell, talk about like what the fact that this is a, pro- a public school as, a, as opposed to a private school, that changes things in terms of the law and what rights the teacher has, right? Yes, absolutely. The uh, freedom of speech and press and association are um, First Amendment rights that are guaranteed as against government action. So they wouldn't apply here to private school employers. And so why then uh, is this a question, given that she does have the right to participate? She wasn't charged with anything. Neither neither was her husband. I mean, is this a case of the school district kind of responding to a group of angry, you know, students and former students and parents? No, I think as uh, as Matthew pointed out, these some when you dig into the facts, there is a possibility of seeing it a different way. uh, it, in the following respects, that so if if you just took um, a point of view that that arguably it had nothing to do with what this teacher would teach small children, um, whether it be su- supporting Trump, for example, right? Everybody has a chance has an opportunity to support their own political candidate, uh, whether you're a pro-choice or not, whether you have a certain position on LGBT rights. Okay, that's completely separate. The problem with the the, the January sixth ongoing investigation in the Capitol riot is that the significance to white supremacist groups could directly affect the children that, well, will directly affect in some respect the children that she's teaching if that, if, if that is part of her consciousness and perhaps even the way that she performs her job. I mean, I'm, I understand why she's not saying much, but the school district issued a statement decrying white supremacy 
and white supremacist groups, um, I certainly think it would be appropriate for her to be asked to do that. Hmm. And Matthew, you you point out in your story that you quote some students who say and parents who said, you know, I I have a, a daughter or a son of color, and never once in her classroom was there any indication that she supported anything. Unlike outside the classroom, where there were all you know, as kids do, there were nasty comments and racially tinged comments. But you know, there, so there's no indication at all, even from people who want her suspended or fired or moved, that she you know espouses some of these uh, kinds of views? None whatsoever. You know, her and her husband um, seem to be mostly preoccupied with, with COVID, stop the steal, you know, talk of the deep state. But, you know, for Southern California, they are an extreme right group. There's no mention of immigrants even, you know, the kind of things that you would associate with some of the um, groups that, that embrace uh, overtly racist ideologies. They, they bear none of those hallmarks. And in her personal life, there's been no evidence of it. If you'd like to join this conversation about the limits of free speech in the workplace, how would you react if your uh, child's teacher had marched on the Capitol or for some other political issue? 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you prefer, you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Here is a comment from Zach who tweets... This is insane. If they did not enter the Capitol, they were simply expressing their First Amendment rights. Had this been a private school, that's a different matter. But to be a county school makes clear this is a violation of their First Amendment rights, a, a point, Margaret Russell, that you made earlier. Uh, another listener tweets, I have zero sympathy for anyone who protested at the Capitol. And then Michael tweets, if she didn't break the law, then the school district is punishing her for constitutionally protected expressive activity. And then to be fair, they must suspend any teacher who was in any sort of protest, including Black Lives Matter. Um, Margaret Russell, uh, have, are you aware of any cases recently in the last several years where a teacher has gotten in trouble for participating in, for example, a Black Lives Matter supportive protest? Um, not not the Black Lives Matter or more recent incidents, but um, there have been a number of cases of schools and other public employers, such as police departments, et cetera, who decide to discipline an employee because of what they have done as a private individual, because it really kind of pushes the boundaries in a way that affects um, the way that person can do their job. And so, for example... You know, you might have a, a, a police officer, right, who is a member of the Proud Boys or a police officer or a public school teacher who says a, a racial slur. Um, this teacher, uh, by all um, appearances, did not do that. Um, but there are examples of, of courts holding that public school teachers have First Amendment rights as private individuals, but they may have limitations because of the impact um, in certain really extreme circumstances. Hmm. And what about, you know, in this case, her spouse? I mean, there isn't anything that you can uh, do to her legally, is there? Because you don't like uh, the, her, her spouse's, her husband's points of view on things? Uh, Professor Russell? Oh, that would be, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I was just thinking, wouldn't that be horrible if we lived in a world in which that were true? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So right. the answer yeah, is I mean, the she answer has is right no. to freedom of association and to marry whoever she wants and 
Right. So, yeah. uh, no, no punishment. Although, Matthew, that does seem to be part of this, uh, because yeah. he, as you said earlier, he is the much higher profile. He is saying the things that she's not in the classroom or anywhere else, for that matter. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think how, how high the stakes would be at Thanksgiving dinner political arguments <laughs> if you get fired for what like your uncle believes. There's <laughs> um, be some gunplay, probably. Um, so... Um, they, uh, you know, it, it is, it is part of it. You know, he is, he's become just a, a leader of the extreme right in, in the conspiratorial right in Orange County. And, and that association has certainly raised her profile yeah. and, and made this a much, made her, her kind of views and her, her decisions to go to the Capitol, I think much higher and raised the stakes for everybody else involved. Um, and, you know, part of this also is that, you know, Orange County itself is going through a transformation. You know, as I said before, this was, the orange curtain this is the kind of birthplace of the modern american conservative movement and it's become much more democratic in 2016 it voted for democrats the first time since roosevelt um the district where san clemente is elected a democrat for the first time since its creation in 72 in 2018 and re-elected the guy and so i think you know you've got this trend where as places move to the left the conservatives kind of double down by getting even more extreme in some cases. And that's certainly what's going on with, with him. And she seems to have been brought along on that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to the phones again. The number to call if you want to join us, 866-733-6786. And let's go to Catherine in Nevada. Welcome. Oh, hi. So my, my comment is that, in my opinion, I, I do believe that public schools and, and educators do have a responsibility to teach our children um, about justice and equality and inclusion and and um, and all of those important elements. And if that means that they join their students in a Black Lives Matter protest, I, as a parent, have no problem with that because we are teaching them about democracy and our history of racism and exclusionary and apartheid. But when a teacher participates in an incident like January 6th, where it was all about um, impeding our democracy or overturning our democracy, sorry, my dog, um, <laughs> where it was all about excluding people from participating in our democracy with the confederate flags flying that's where i think i do draw the line in terms of free speech of that of that teacher because they clearly are not able to uphold the values of what our public schools were intended to be which is education for all inclusion for all and what it really does do is perpetuate this eugenics um uh foundation in which so much of our society has been has been founded in yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Catherine. And Matthew, I know you talked to uh, a few parents. Did you find that they were pretty split? I mean, obviously, it wasn't a scientific sample. Yeah, no, I mean, people were pretty split. And I think you're split along um, your politics, you know, to, to answer to kind of to respond to the caller. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people I was I was there on the six, I spoke to a lot of people who participated. And there are a lot of people who genuinely believe the election was stolen. Now that belief may have no evidence to back it up whatsoever, but they believe it and they believe they were doing something that was very positive for American democracy. And so, you know, you're, it, it's tricky ground because, you know, these are protected beliefs. And as, as, as extreme as they may seem to some people like the caller, you know, the people who are protesting there certainly did not think they were trying to exclude people, did not think they were trying to 
overthrow an election. They think they were trying to save an election. Yeah. And Margaret Russell, one person's sense of justice is another person's injustice, right? I mean, you can certainly have very different points of view about a mask mandate and not be, again, not be a white supremacist. Yes, that's absolutely true. And and I understand what the, the caller is saying about the centrality of a commitment to justice. But this is a a lower school teacher, and my, I don't know exactly what she's teaching in the classroom, but I don't really think that it comes anywhere close to teaching government. So, for example, if this were a high school social studies teacher, you might look at it differently. Yeah, interesting. All right, here's a comment from Sarah who writes, the lady took part in an assault on our government. That she wasn't arrested means nothing. Almost no one was arrested that day because they were white. This teacher is free to be a QAnon supporter. I'm uh I'm free to not want her to be teaching children. But again, in terms of the law, Margaret Russell, QAnon, again, conspiracy theories, uh, white, you know, uh, anti-immigrant, white supremacy in a way, uh, some crazy ideas about Democrats and pedophilia. Uh, I mean, where is there, where is the line there? I mean, can you, if you're a QAnon supporter, as, you know, apparently this teacher was, or certainly her husband, he was wearing a QAnon pin on his hat. What difference does that make in terms of the law? Well, I think that I agree that just as a private citizen, I am very concerned about the number of people who believe in the QAnon theories with no facts to support them. But I think everyone who who is employed can understand the, the notion that if it doesn't interfere with your job, and I realize that's a big if here for a lot of people, but if it doesn't interfere with your job and it's not your job to bring it up, um, there is a there is an argument that that person has rights the same rights that you do. Yeah, you know, uh, can not, I, can I, yeah, can please, I also, Matthew. I just, also, I add one thing. You know, um, it, it's easy to see as everybody on January sixth taking part in that attack on the Capitol. And the truth is, there were a few hundred people who did. There were thousands of people there, most of whom um, were peaceful. And you know, if she had stepped foot inside that building, if she had battled the police, I think this would be an open and shut case and very few people would agree with firing her. Um, but the thing is, she didn't. And so, you know, I think we need to be careful to not group the great many people who were peacefully marching. Um, and they may have been loud. They may have shouted things you don't agree with. Some of them shouted absolutely hateful things, but it was peaceful and that is their right versus those who attacked the building itself. Yeah. All right, some more comments here. Jamie writes, parents entrust teachers to keep kids safe following social distancing protocols and mask wearing. It's a crucial part of getting back to normal. I'd have a serious issue sending my kid to a school with a teacher who was so vocally anti-mask and didn't take COVID seriously. That's directly related to her job performance. But again, Matthew, she didn't do that in the classroom or in school. Exactly. You know, she wore class, she wore masks where she was supposed to be wearing masks. And, you know, that raises an issue. Like, look, if she's out accosting students outside the school, I think that's also another issue. She was accosting people. We don't have any evidence, any evidence she was accosting any of her students. But inside the classroom, she had a mask on. Uh, Shannon writes, it's uh, good that she did not break in to the Capitol. However, it's frightening that a teacher is incapable of critical thinking skills and comprehending fact from fiction and believing lies. David writes, a teacher who supports treasonous lies and causes, this should be super simple. Free speech is fine, but someone who can't synthesize facts and data isn't someone you want teaching your kids. I don't understand why firing this person uh, with cause 
is controversial. Um, and what is the situation right now, Matthew? She is back in the classroom. Um, I note that you end your article with her basically saying she won't have any comment, uh, but she's hoping that the media, who obviously she's not a big fan of, uh, will yes. go back. And uh, and again, we're at the end of the hour, but just quickly, what's what's her status right now and what comes next? I mean, as far as the school, school district is concerned, this is over. She's back and that's that. Um, I've talked to some parents, some of whom have kids who are younger in third grade, who said they were requesting that their kids not have her next year. Um, but I think this is kind of becoming like another data point in the very divisive politics of post-Trump America. And for people who live through it will be one of the scars they bear as they move forward and decide, you know, what they're going to think and how they want to behave and how they want to see the country evolve. Yeah, exactly. And the pandemic has certainly made all of us a little uh, a little crazy at times. But Matthew Roth exactly. Rosenberg from uh, The New York Times, thanks so much for your reporting and for joining us today. Margaret Russell, professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for your great comments and questions. I'm Scott Schaefer. And join us for the next hour. Guest host Katie Orr will be here to talk about the latest on the J&J vaccine. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.